David. David. Dave, are you in the fridge again? Get out of the fridge. David. What is up, everyone? This is the David Wells Experiment, and I am your host, David Wells. So we're going to talk about video games, a subject I've approached many times before, but we're going to focus in on two companies that I don't think get the attention they deserve. That is Argonaut Games and Rareware, who from this point on, I'm simply going to refer to as Rare. So one of the things that I'm surprised about is their similarities, and they're more similar than they are different. I think the biggest difference is Argonaut Games went out in the early 2000s and rare is still going strong although for both companies their senior figures and some of their key personnel they left a long time ago but it's very interesting they're both two british companies and they had they were sort of technical marvels interesting thing about British gaming is that British gaming was almost exclusively based in PCs, or not PCs, but computer consoles. And these consoles were somewhat limited in their power. They weren't very robust machines. I, I have only a cursory knowledge of them. But from the videos that I've watched, um, it really took some creativity and finessing to achieve something of significance on them back then. One of those people was Rare, and another one of them was Argonaut Games. I think from those cultures, they were able to do what they did with Nintendo, because they were two companies that both shocked Nintendo with what they were capable of doing. And their origin stories and their relationship with Nintendo is the thing that gets me. So one of the things that they both did was they both were able to take two different Nintendo systems and hack them and impress Nintendo. So in regards to Rare... What they did was they were able to, let me see really quick. I want to make sure that I get this right. Let's see. I want to make sure I get it right. Let's see. Okay, so what Rare did was they looked at the Famicom, a.k.a. the NES, and there was a claim that you could not hack it, that you couldn't figure out how to put games on it because Nintendo had this very tight third-party developer thing where you're not allowed to develop a game for them unless you have a contract with Nintendo and they even added technical limitations which would have prevented people from doing this what made rare what made rare so significant was they reverse engineered the NES. They looked at code from games and they were able to figure out how to break the system. And they did this completely legally.
Now, there's a thing where Atari, or one of their variations, Atari could be a whole video in itself, they basically wanted to make NES games but not have to deal with the license. So what they did was they filed a lawsuit against Nintendo. That way they could get access to their technical specs and get the code they needed. They had to do things that way. Of course, they wound up getting sued later on and they had to... They paid for it and they couldn't make NES games unlicensed anymore. But that just shows the contrast. So Rare... They reverse engineer the NES, and they show it to Minoru Arakawa, who I believe was the head of Nintendo of America at the time, and he's impressed, and so they make a deal. Now, up to that point, um, Rare was known mostly for making games on the ZX Spectrum, which was a computer system that made that played video games. I believe it could do other things as well, but it was a means to play... It was a computer... Blah. It was a computer system that played games. So anyway, it was really exclusive to sort of Britain, and they thought there wasn't a lot of life left in it. So they sold their company, which wasn't rare yet, it was another company. So they sell that company and they use that money to look into making games for the NES. Which they were able to do because they impressed Nintendo and Nintendo made them a second party developer. They bought about 25% of the company. So yeah, that worked out splendidly for them. Now, consequently... Argonaut Games did something similar. Let's see. Argonaut Games. So what Argonaut Games was, they reverse engineered the Game Boy. And they were able to, you know, similarly get a deal with Nintendo. And they were also known for... Man, my phone is taking a second to load. I wonder, has anybody else experienced that lately? Your phone, like, just acting up? Anyway. So, what happened is, they also did something like that. They hacked the Game Boy, impressed Nintendo, and they got a deal. So, one of the things that they're known for is, they developed the Super FX chip. Which was a way of boosting a Super NES cartridge and giving it the ability to make 3D games and play them on the Super Nintendo. So in both cases, Argonaut and Argonaut and Rare were sort of technical marvels. And that kind of came from the minimal resources they had to deal with in the British computer scene back then now consequently rare was able to make use of argonaut's development of the super fx chip because of that they're able to make donkey kong country now this was significant for 
a huge reason because when they were developing that the way the first wave of 3d games was coming around so what happened is that super nes was kind of like getting close to the end of its life and they rare invested heavily in these high-end silicon graphics computers that at that point had been used for like jurassic park and terminator 2 to develop some really high-end graphics and films their idea was to use it for video games so what they did was they made 3d models and they used those models to make very high-end looking sprites and donkey kong country for the time was a technical marvel it showed that while 3D games were around the corner, the Super NES had a lot of life to live, and they helped milk it for all it's worth. Argonite Games, they produced Star Fox, which was an actual 3D game on the Super NES. There was no, you had to pre-render it. It was very rudimentary 3D graphics, and you played it on the Super NES. They were going to develop a sequel for Star Fox, but given that the N64 was around the corner, Nintendo was like, hey, we don't want to make something with our 3D system so close, because I believe they were also working on a 3D Star Fox game, and so they wanted the leap in technology to seem bigger. They didn't want something that was so close to its release because I felt it would have watered it down, or the impact of the game. So anyway, that gets shelved. Later on, I think it gets released on the Nintendo Switch's Super NES emulator, but that's another story. So anyway, they both are these really successful companies from Britain that Nintendo has a pretty good relationship with. But it doesn't last long. So the break with Argonaut was, so there's a story which I hear is contested, that Argonaut wanted to develop a 3D Yoshi game, and Nintendo was like, ah, we're not so sure about that. So basically, what Argonaut does is they take the idea of working with Yoshi, and they rework it into a game about a crocodile called Croc, Legend of the Gobbos. And this gets released on the Saturn and the PlayStation and a PC version. There's also a PC version. Now, people rip on this game because I've only played Croc 2. I've seen um, walkthroughs of Croc 1 on YouTube. But I think it was an accomplishment. Again, just going off my experience with Croc 2, and the video I've seen of Croc 1, it's not too dissimilar. One of the big criticisms I hear about Croc 1 is that Croc handles very tank-like, and they hadn't quite figured out how to use a D-pad to control a character that was moving around in 3D space. Anyway, I think the significance of the game is it takes the platform model and it 
transposes it to the 3D realm. Because one of the things about 3D games is that when that was happening, it sort of, that extra dimension, the Z-axis, um, it sort of threw a wrench in the formula of video games, especially platformers. Because one of the things about platformers was it was always about get to the end of the level. And a lot of people try to figure out, okay, well, how do we do that? Because with this third dimension, um, you can avoid enemies. Um, one of the developers of Crash Bandicoot famously said, um, with all that free space, the challenge ratio is compromised so two great examples of 3d platformers um, mario super mario 64 and crash bandicoot so super mario 64 it isn't such a priority to just step on the villains there are villains to interact with and you have to avoid but the direction that shigeru miyamoto decided to take the game in was it is more about exploring the area that you're in. Just walking around is part of the fun itself. There are challenges that you have to face, but part of the fun is just exploring this new world. And that was definitely one of the aspects for me. And Crash Bandicoot, on the other hand, there was a fixed camera and you had a very linear path. You could basically go forwards and backwards and side to side, but it was much more, this was their attempt at sort of a 3D action game, a platformer game. And they tried to work within the limitations of the PlayStation. And one of the reasons they went this route is because they wanted Crash to feel like a cartoon and not a video game. Because 3D graphics at the time looked very blocky and inexpressive. So in order to accommodate the technical limitations and and also in order to stick with the aesthetic and the vision they had they decided to they did a chunk system of like what part of the level was going to be uploaded that way they could make the most of the playstation's limited graphic abilities there's a whole video about that anyway i only bring up super mario 64 and crash bandicoot to sort of add to croc 2 or croc 1 and croc 2 i feel that while some people have criticized the gameplay as simplistic it really sticks to the traditional platformer of reach the end of the level and makes it work in a 3d space because i feel it does that in a way that it has the sort of exploratory aspect that Super Mario 64 has, but it also has the platformer challenge that Crash Bandicoot has. Again, there were technical limitations, but yeah, I think in a way, it while Super Mario 64 and, and Crash Bandicoot they both honed in on specific aspects of 3D games. Um, Croc 2 was sort of the best compromise to sort of like 
bring platformers to the 3D. So in that regard, in those regards, I believe that it was more successful. And it really sort of took further down the line before, you know, we got games that fit with the traditional 2D platformer in 3D. But they were the first to do it, and I think they did it the best. So anyway, they do that, and Super Mario 64 actually beat them to market by a couple months. And the rumor is that Shigeru Miyamoto said he apologized to Argonaut for not doing the game and said thank you for giving them the idea. But this is contested because of due to the nature of development of games. And Miyamoto has said that he had always wanted to do a 3D game, but that the technical limitations of the Super NES, even given the Super FX graphics card, um, prevented them from doing that. So I'm not entirely sure that they got the idea from Argonauts to do a 3D game. I think they just differed on which character they wanted to use and how involved they wanted to be. But anyway, that led to Argonaut sort of Miyamoto and Nintendo not working with Argonaut on a 3D Yoshi game led to them going off and making Croc themselves. And they would be around for another decade, but they didn't get enough, I'm oversimplifying it, but they didn't get enough games made and they wound up going out of business in the early 2000s. Rare is a different story. What happened with Rare was, so they made the Donkey Kong games even well into the life of the N64. The last one they did was Donkey Kong Country 3. And yeah, at that point, the Super, no, the N64 had been around for a bit. And so they helped the SNES enjoy sort of a long Indian summer. So what happens is, they're like, okay, let's go into the next dimension. Now, okay, the I will be very impressed if my audio AI gets the sound of that dump truck out of the background. Um, if so, go and look into auto AI. This isn't a sponsorship thing, but I just believe in their product. So if you want to make a podcast, A-U-D-O, Auto, AI. It's a speech enhancement AI. And I hope down the line I could get sponsored by them. That would be awesome. Okay, the truck is gone. So anyway, they move into the third dimension. Now, Rare does... They do a couple games for Nintendo because at that point... Nintendo was a 50% owner of Rare, and they had a good relationship with them. So one of the things that Rare does is they give one, sort of one of their newbie teams, one of their newbie divisions, a chance to make a first-person shooter game. And the first per this game... Nobody really thought a whole lot of it back then, but this game went on to become GoldenEye, which set the standard for first-person shooter games, especially in 3D. And 
Interestingly enough, first-person shooter games are kind of the reason that I got out of video games in the first place. But again, as I've said before, another story for another time. So anyway, that's a huge success. Another thing that isn't such a success is a game called Conquer's Bad Fur Day, which the reason it didn't succeed is because Nintendo gave it almost no press coverage at all. And one of the reasons was because it was designed for a mature audience. And Nintendo is famously a sort of friendly, a family-friendly company. So, especially in the U.S., they were a bit more lax in Japan, but for the U.S. market, they were even a bit more restrictive. So what happens is, that was kind of the beginning of the souring. They took a little side character called Conquer, this squirrel that was one of the players in Diddy Kong Racing, and they decided to give him his own game. So, yeah, that happens, and down the line, Rare is like, you know what, Nintendo isn't giving us enough money to develop, to develop these games, and we're doing a great job. So, around the corner, Microsoft is starting to develop the Xbox, and the second generation of games is happening. And so, they buy, they make the offer to buy Rare. Now, Nintendo, because they already own 50%, they first had to be given the option to buy Rare out, but they decide to part ways. And in an unusually conciliatory move, um, perhaps because of how much success they'd brought in them, Nintendo allowed Rare to keep all the characters that they'd created. I think they have this weird joint custody thing with Diddy Kong, because Rare created him for Donkey Kong Country. So it's an interesting, it's sort of a Marvel-Sony deal, like with Spider-Man, sort of. And so... Rare famously ends things with Nintendo, and they start focusing on making games for the Xbox. Now, one of the things that Xbox did was they realized we don't have a handheld, so they allowed Rare to develop games for Nintendo's Game Boy Pocket and the Game Boy Advance. I might be mistaken on that in regards to the Game Boy, but definitely for the Game Boy Advance, they let them reunite with some of their properties that they had made at Nintendo when they were still part of them. So down the line, Rare's founding members, they decide to leave Rare, and the company continues on. Now, one of the most interesting things is, years down the line, two of Rare's characters, Banjo-Kazooie, appear as third-party characters in the Smash Bros. game, and... Masahiro Sakurai, the creator of Kirby and Smash Bros, says, Even though Banjo-Kazooie is on a competing system, I encourage you to go and play it. And it's when he's talking about Smash Bros. And that made sense. It clicked why third-party developers allowed their characters to appear in Smash Bros. It's basically free advertising for an audience that might otherwise not play an Xbox or a PlayStation game. And, you know, it helps them. It's a mutually beneficial thing. 
So that is basically two British companies that worked with Nintendo in the early days and in a sort of transitionary period of video games. I do think it's a shame that Argonaut Games has, they basically dissolved. I mean, the people who really made a difference in their heyday, they went on to do other things. But it's a shame that it went defunct and their company didn't live on because they made they were part of huge milestones in the video game industry and i do think that their work deserves more credit than it gets because i have a lot of fond memories as a kid playing croc 2 with my brothers and sister anyway but it just speaks of both companies how they had such little resources that they had to have a deep, intricate technical knowledge that helped them to that helped them to be able to be creative. They they knew all the variables, all the factors, and they left no stone untouched. And they both of them were able to accomplish some great things. So I think they deserve to be remembered for that. So that is my review of Rare Games and Argonaut Games. Again, this has been the David Wells Experiment. I'm David Wells. Have an absolutely super day, and we will see you next time. Bye.